0: I know that some of you uh, thought that I was intentionally being evil to him to make him have to read that list of names, but um, that was not actually the intent. The um, book of Esther is um, much like the other books of Scripture in that it gives us an opportunity to learn and to grow and to hear some things that are applicable to our own lives. Um, I've uh, always felt that the the Bible was not just a, a smattering of things thrown together with no intent, that surely there is some content that's supposed to be reaching into our lives for practical application. Um, the uh, So anyway, that's the reason we're going with Esther today, and possibly even again next week. Uh, but I... Um, I wanted to make another comment, first of all. Some of you have heard of something called, not Taylor Johnson, um, Myers-Briggs. Have you ever heard of it? It's a testing procedure to kind of evaluate what your personality is like and all that kind of thing. One of the good things about Myers-Briggs is it basically gives different aspects of a person's personality, whether you're proactive or whether you're responsive toward people, whether you're passive or judgmental or whether you're uh, intuitive in your thinking, and all of this kind of thing kind of helps you to evaluate a little bit who you are. It is not always 100% perfect, but I will say that I've taken it a number of times, and ultimately, to my great dismay, it always comes out the same. And I've tried and hoped that I would make some adjustments, but it's just who I am. And just because you are a personality type by natural leaning doesn't mean that you have to do all of your decision making based on that particular leaning. We can all learn new things and adjust and function differently. The only reason I'm mentioning this this morning is I enjoy the nature of the church so much and I want to encourage you to be yourself. Um, we're all different. Uh, Some of you are people who like things done this way and some want it done that way. Some of you like things very rapid, very quick. You know, just nail it to the wall and have it done and over with. And some of you are much more methodical and would really like to walk things through to be sure everything is done correctly. And yet, we're here together in one body trying to... uh, Function and move forward for God. And as we come together here on Sundays, truly worship is our goal. And I know I've heard different people get in front of groups and talk about when worship begins. Worship should begin when we come in the door. Worship's not something that's just done during the prayer time or during the music time. Or during the preaching time, or during anything. Worship is the experience of being with God's people and us meeting up with what God has for us. It includes the fellowship time. It includes the time when we do listen to a prayer that guides us toward uh, providing the Father with understanding clearly of our hearts and our burdens. It includes our praise time, our singing as we, again, through those songs, have so many things to communicate to our Father. So, let's rejoice each time we have an opportunity to come together. And I hope we come together with different structures. I would love to see us experiment some. Now, I always get nervous when you ask the college-age students to help us experiment, but I really enjoy it too, because uh, we all have different needs. And uh, I, I think it's a very positive thing to help us be sure that everybody in the room is being reached. But one of the things that we all are dealing with, certainly, is our relationship with God as we worship. And that's where the Bible jumps into our lives, and we'll start today, by looking at Esther. And one of the things about the book of Esther is it deals a great deal with courage, uh, strength of conviction. Um, uh, bravery under difficult circumstances. Uh, and we see a testimony of a woman, which, of course, when we look in, in Old Testament times, uh, the role of women and the position of women was quite different from that of the men. Um, but I want to, uh, I would like for us today to think a little bit about what courage is. Uh, I think it comes in different forms. I think it comes in your life on a daily basis and we have opportunity to be brave. Sometimes we're successful, sometimes we're a failure. A number of years ago, I was in um Shenyang, up in northeastern China and uh, I, I had been asked by a friend of mine who um, I, I'd like to describe first, I, I think would probably be a good uh, description for him. This is a man that at age 50, had felt the call of God uh, to study and go to seminary and prepare for long-term service to God at 50. So the nice thing is to say to you, it's never too late. God can move in your heart and give you a direction at any point. So anytime you think you've got it all boxed up, booked up, ready to go, you know what your life is going to be for the rest of your total experience in this world. God can change that. And my friend and I were, were talking about his experience. So he went at age 50 to the Three-Self, that's a government-approved seminary, and said he would like to come there to study. And they said, you're too old, we can't use you. You're over the hill. Don't look at me and talk about over the hill. I know, I know. It's, it's a built-in reality. We're all getting older. And... um so he said, but I just now got the call of God for me to do this. And they said, we, we, I hear you. That's really nice. Very cute. No, you can't come to our school. And the result was then he began to ask himself, what was, did I misunderstand what God had for me? Did, what was wrong here? Eventually, he found another three-self seminary in China. And he went to that school in Sichuan province went there to school for several years, graduated from the school, very excited, went back to his home city there in Sunyang. got up there and went in, talked to the same people he had talked to before. He said, I've got my credentials, I'm ready to go. And they said, we told you, you're too old. We can't use you. It doesn't matter whether you have the credentials, we don't need you. Now in truth, the Church of China in any form has need. But that was what they told him. So it was a very fascinating thing that occurred because basically they forced him to start a house church. And he did so. And that church has been blessed tremendously. They have uh, several hundred who meet each week. They've been able to start other churches in different places. So thank you three self. You've helped us to have one more good house church in China. Fascinatingly enough though, his burden continues to be for training others. And one day he was in contact with another guy who asked me to come and do some training in Sun Yang. So I went up and um, I I never know what to expect in China, what's going to happen next. It's, it's one of those anything can happen places. But he took me into a restaurant on the second floor of a building. And there was this huge room, uh, probably half the size of this room went into this big room as a restaurant. Now, it, the restaurant itself was as big as this whole thing. but we went onto one side of it, and I walked into this group, and there were about 70 to 80 people sitting waiting on me. And I walked in, and, and we were really crowded because of the way the nature of the room was. We went for training that day from 9 a.m. until six in the evening and did not stop. And they were sitting on little chairs and just jammed in there as tight as they possibly could. But what was interesting is because it was kind of hot, they decided to leave all the doors open. So you had everybody in the world going up and down the hallway, going to the other rooms of the restaurant to eat. And everybody's looking in and listening and standing at the door and and taking in what we're talking about. Me being very aware that this was very illegal. And um, I kept thinking, guys, I'm a white guy. Remember? This is China. This is illegal. But... And they said, no problem, no problem. Just keep going. God will bless. It will be wonderful. And I kept thinking, any other part of China I've been in, I would be having quite an experience by now. And it wouldn't be with you. The police would have already gotten me. Went all day long. That He knew his environment. It wasn't that I was brave. He was brave. You see, the difference with it is when I would do things like that in China, sure, it's a little risky for me. It's very risky for them, for the local people, when they get, if they get caught and get in trouble and something kind of matters. But we went all day long, finished up, and I left and just kind of breathed a sigh of relief. The next morning... My friend said, hey, do you want to come to my church? And again, my response was, "Uh, are you sure? You know, is it convenient? He said, said, I have a friend who's a taxi driver. He has dark windows. I drive you right in. No problem. (laughs) So, my friend picked me up. And the taxi driver, we just drove right into the place. And we walked in the back of the, the room and... I was walking across and kind of trying to quietly go in because it's rather disturbing. I sort of stand out there in that environment. You know, in China, it's only 99.999% yellow skin, black hair, and I didn't have either one of those to offer. And so I'm kind of trying to not disturb things too much. And um, I started listening, though, because up front, there was a guy who was sharing a testimony And he was sharing about how yesterday he had learned a different witnessing technique. And he talked about how he had ridden the bus that day. And on the bus, just like what we practiced yesterday, he had sat down behind some people and started talking with the person next to him. And that meant the two people in front of him were also hearing the same witness. And he said, anyway, he started just getting so excited. Anyway, one of them had made a decision and was with him at church that day. Now, that is a real point of praise for what God can do instantly. With courage and dependent uh, attitudes, this man was used by God in amazing ways. But the thing that I want to say is I saw courage, 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 and courage all through the process of people who were saying the world is not about me. This life is not about me. Convenience is not about me. My role is to be a servant of the Father. Esther had that kind of courage. The book of Esther, chapter 1, we can look at a very interesting person. You know, life throws many unexpected challenges and disappointments in our way. Uh, The issue for us is how do we respond? There are going to be struggles every day. We've had struggles even here. You will have struggles with me, I guarantee, because I know I have got weaknesses and mistakes and things I do wrong all the time, and you'll have to correct me. And the point is that challenges come. The question is, do we have the courage to go ahead and say, this is something that needs to be changed. This is something that can be done better. Do we actually stand forward and try to encourage things to be done in a better way? Esther risked her life with her courage and a bit of naive dependency only to have God use her in some miraculous ways. Naive dependency is a good thing. You know, I remember I used to go from Hong Kong to Taiwan. My Hong Kong friends would always say, oh, you're going over to Taiwan? Yeah, yeah, he said. Taiwan people, he said, I really like them. They're very cute, very naive, but very cute. And I kept listening. And then I moved to Taiwan. I lived in Taiwan for a while, and I began to say, "Hmm, Hong Kong people, we are really, really folk job. Very, um, very uh, complicated. Would that be the right word? Okay, complicated. Very complex or complicated, but you know, everything." I had a situation one day in, in, in Taiwan. I was trying to go out to a school. I didn't know the way. I saw a man repairing a motorcycle. I stopped and asked him. He said, follow me. And he drove, I don't know, four miles. And I followed him all the way. And it would turn this corner, turn that corner. And eventually I got to Joon Yun University. And I kept thinking to myself, wow, if I asked somebody in Hong Kong to, to tell me where, they'd say, go up there and ask somebody else. Then go that way and then go ask somebody else. There's no way they're going to give me the time to take me and and guide me there. So I kept determining, you know, naivety is not always bad. Being a little sweet, a little sensitive, a little caring is a good thing. Uh, I'm not saying I'm real good at it. Would like to learn more. But it, it is something that's challenging. Well, in Esther's case, she was a little naive. She didn't have a great strategy plan. You know, yesterday we met talking some about what our vision is for the church. We need a vision. The Bible says, without vision, the people perish. We need to coordinate. We need to know where we're going. I went online and looked at the mission of BCBC. There's some very good things in there. We need to have a direction. And you may already have that direction very clear in your own mind but I want to get on page with you and us go together. You see, the thing is, where the vision comes from is not that significantly important as long as we know ultimately it came from God. Whether you heard it first or I heard it first, who cares? We just want to know what God wants us to do and then for us to have the courage to do it. We have our responsibility in there But ultimately, we just need to be sure the vision is coming from Him. You know, I think that's one of the reasons in Matthew chapter 6 where we get a great teaching about prayer. How do you pray? You know, I've had all these people uh, that I've talked to over the years that have had this little book written or that little pamphlet written or something about prayer. You know, the the Bible's actually a pretty good source for teaching us those kinds of things. And in in, uh, Matthew chapter 6, It's very much the Lord's model prayer. He tells us how to pray. Not my will, but thy will. The will of God. When we pray, it doesn't demand that we understand step number two. But it does demand that we ask for God's will to be given. And then the question is, do we dare to do what God wants us to do? What if God touches your heart at age 50 and says... I'm ready I'm ready to use you. Go to seminary. You know, the first response would be, are you kidding God? What are you talking about? I'm 50 years old. But that's not what my friend said. He said, God told me to do it, and this school may say no, but I'm going to look until I find a way. Because I want in God's will more than I want in you bunch of church leaders' will. You see, church leaders, that doesn't guarantee that you have all the answers. But God does guarantee He has the answers. And so when we look at Esther chapter 1, verse 5, it says, The king made a great feast. And he had this big thing going on. Of course, ego gets into this particular story, but the king is—he has this kind of a party and has all these people come in. So then in verse 9, the queen has a, a, a big feast as well. And she invites all of her friends in. So Vashti... And Xerxes both are having these parties. And then in verse 11 and 12, uh, the, the king commanded, bring Vashti the queen before the king and the crown royal to show the people what a beautiful woman I have as a wife. So beauty even back then was a big issue. So he wanted to show off what a lucky man he was to have such a beautiful wife. Uh, now, I don't know... I guess when I see this story it makes me very happy to read this story because it it makes me know that there's another man as dumb as I am. Because this king somehow thought that whatever he would say his wife would listen to him. I know better. You know, women they have opinions about things too. They have their own perspective of life and we men somehow sometimes think we can tell them what to do. And they may even make us think that they're listening. But they will do what they want to do. And what we see in this story is, is a man that's struggling with this. He just doesn't seem to quite get it. And she refuses. She says, no, I know you want me to come. I want, you to show, I want me to show off my beauty and all that. But you know, the way you treat me, I don't think so. Well, of course, we know the story. We go on in verses 15 and 17 and then the response is, so what are we going to do? We've got to do something based on the loss. But it's interesting here too in that it challenges us to remind ourselves not everybody, not everybody that gives you advice is worthy of listening to. I don't know if you guys are like I am at all, but um, I, I this will, may surprise some of you. I know it would surprise some of the guys I've been working with for years and years. But I don't really feel great when people won't listen to me or if they turn me down or they just... If I feel a gap there and I feel disappointed that I wasn't able to convince them of something, I kind of feel like I've been um, rejected. Disappointing to me. And... Um, you know, it's we all like, I think, to, to feel like we can say things and people receive it and accept it, but um, when we look at, at this situation, we have to realize that if we choose the wrong advisors, the wrong advice, they may tell us to do this or to do that, and this may be right and this may be wrong, and actually you may ought to have said, I really thank you very much, and just don't worry about it. There's always somebody that may very well can give you more accurate advice. Now, don't just keep looking around until somebody says something you want to hear. That's a different issue. Maybe the people that are giving you advice are the people you should be listening to. Choose your advisors carefully. Choose them for right motivation. Being sure they are really giving you advice because they understand the circumstances. You know, my son... And I won't say which one because I have three. That's protecting the innocent. We were talking about some different things, some of the decisions he's made over the years. And I won't even give illustrations of what the things are, but it has to do with purchases and where he travels and some girlfriends that he's had, this kind of stuff. And I asked him, I said, you know did you talk to anybody before you made that decision or you made that call? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, who did you talk to, son? Did you get some good advice from somebody that really has had experience and knows me? He said, ah, I kind of just talked to my friend. I thought, great. That's really good. There's nothing like a a 20-something-year-old talking to another 20-something-year-old for their years of wisdom and experience. You know, the problem is, Depending on how big the decision is, it may mean you want to stretch all the way outside your box to someone who's 30 years old. Maybe five years older. Maybe seven years old. Sometimes we have to look and find people that have been through circumstances in life and would know how to give you advice. You know, it's, a, it's just a built-in reality in our learning and our growth that we have to choose our advisors carefully. But that is not what this king did. The king went to his friend and he said, hey, so what do we do? What? And then they began to talk about it. And they all concluded, very wisely, of course, well, the answer is change your wife. You're the king. You've got the authority to do that, you know. So now most of the men in here, I want to say, especially the ones that have not yet married, the college guys and the ones that are fresh out of school and that kind of stuff, don't choose your wife with the idea that you can just swap them every week. It doesn't happen that way. But that was, you know, basically that was the perspective of the king's friends. They just said, well, you're the king. You have the authority to do anything you want to. Just get rid of her. She was bad to you. Because if your wife's bad to you, hey, our wives will be bad to us. She's the model. And if you keep her, then our wives will quit listening to us too. And life is bad then. It was cultural. You know, these these guys actually walked around assuming they were in charge. And uh, the result was, it was very, very poor motivation. So the advisors of the king had motivation problems. Their motivation was to protect themselves. They wanted their wives to continue to be very passive or listening in, uh, toward all that they would have to say. And so basically, they encouraged him When you hit a difficulty, run away from it, get a new wife. In chapter 2, we find something very interesting. Because in chapter 2, we find that indeed the king has agreed with his friends. And in chapter 2, he's made the decision that he's going to get a new wife. And then we see the world's first beauty pageant. Now see, I lived in Hong Kong in a place where I've never seen so many beauty pageants in my entire life. We have Miss Hong Kong, Miss Asia, Miss... You name it, they've got it. It's like once every two months, there's another beauty pageant on, on television. And they build it up for, you know, for two or three weeks, so it never seems to quite stop. But here is one of the original beauty pageants, and it was not in Hong Kong. It was not in Sumjian either. But in chapter 2, verses 78, it says, uh, Mordecai, Esther's uncle, brought her to participate in the contest. But in verse 10 and verse 20, very interestingly, even though Mordecai wanted her to participate in the beauty pageant with the potential of possibly becoming the queen, he told her, do not tell anyone that you are a Jew. See, he was still sensitive to his racial identity. and So he was trying to say, you know, I don't know why I'm going to say this exactly, But I just don't think it's the wise time to reveal your background. In chapter 2, verse 17, the king loved Esther more than all the other women and made her queen. So, success. Now, was this a strategy of man? My comment would be no. Was it because of a vision on the part of Mordecai with a long-term plan? I would say no. But it was God's plan. You know, a lot of times the the difficulties we get in life help us to mature, uh, and we grow through the difficulties. Personally, my life has been kind of a sequence of growth through negative experiences. Um, every now and then, I step out and try something and just fall flat on my face. I fail, but through those experiences, I grow. Um, some people are so afraid of failure that they don't try anything. I feel sorry for those people. You know, Esther didn't understand what was going on. Mordecai didn't know it. But they said, we've got to try. We're going to just take a step and follow God a step at a time today. Brothers and sisters, what I want to say about BCBC and our work here in the church, we've got to be brave. Jesus said, guide for the church. The church is important. I know it and you know it. Let's do something about it. Let's push the church forward as a loving place that non-Christians are welcome, that Christians are welcome, and that we can see this place as a place of light for the whole of Vancouver. When I look at the testimony of Mordecai and Esther, I see people that are trying to find out who they are in God's will. Mordecai, as I say, put her forth. Therefore, the result was his adopted daughter became the queen. Historically, to marry someone of another race or tribe was quite unusual in those days. Uh, So therefore, as I say, they did not uh, uh, talk about her background, did not reveal that identity. Uh, For her to become the queen... um, you know, it was uh, quite unique, uh, but he, he brought her up uh, with a, a, an attitude of who God was, a sensitivity toward God in all that it was. And I want us to remember in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says, there are times for killing, healing, building up and tearing down. Esther was in need of God's will. She didn't know the plan, did not know what the results were going to be. But this was something that in the Scriptures in chapter 4 of Esther, it says, "...for such a time as this." Esther was in preparation to be used in a miraculous way. Brothers and sisters, I would say to you, our church is in preparation for bigger things and better things. We've been through all kinds of interesting challenges these days. But I believe it's because God's not trying to tear us down... He's preparing us. He's gleaning us. He is challenging us to say He wants to see a church that is dependent on Him, not dependent on ourselves. He's saying, I'm preparing you for purpose. Plans and strategies are good, but dependency is even better. And that is what Mordecai and Esther have shown us. In chapter 2, verse 20-23, to Discovering the plot of the king's chamberlains. This is a very interesting part. You know, these stories in the Old Testament all get a little bit intricate. Now, they're nothing compared to what you see on television for morning television, and they have all those programs that people sit around and watch and daily go through the soapbox opera thing. But this thing, it's very, very fascinating because you have this story where Mordecai has presented his, his adopted daughter, she makes the decision. She gets down to this particular point and becomes the queen. But then we discover that there are people who do not like the king. And these guys have a plan to kill the king. And so the result is that Mordecai gets involved. And uh, he he tells Esther about the problem and the plot to kill the king. And so it puts forth in chapter 3... Quite an interesting thing, because in chapter 3, Mordecai remained at the king's gate to keep contact with Esther. He did not follow the rules of the land or the customs that were expected to be uh, related to bowing down to Haman. Now, the story in chapter 3, right after those couple of guys tried to kill the king, we have a situation at the end of chapter 2 where the king came in and punished them. Beginning of chapter 3, though, instead of seeing Mordecai rewarded with a higher position, which would seem reasonable, that was not what happened. At beginning of chapter 3, what we see is Haman, one of the friends of the king, become, uh, 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 get, gaining a higher position. So in chapter 3, we see his higher position given. He's respected for his higher position. And so this guy named Haman gets very, very excited about it because suddenly he's the number two man behind the king. And so he's very, very uh, uh, thrilled about his new opportunity to be a power man. But Mordecai's actions were not ones of selfishness for himself, but were ones of concern for his people. He was struggling. Mordecai was trying to understand What his role was. He did not understand what the final story was going to be. Uh, Mordecai was a servant leader. Uh, He went ahead. We know the story, the way it goes in chapter 3, was that Esther was um, uh, responsible for then going to uh, uh, deal with the situation with Haman. Because Haman had gotten more and more angry at the Jewish people. We have to remember back in the Old Testament, there's a guy named Samuel who uh, was told originally to kill the Agagites. And the Agagites were people that uh, had always traditionally been enemies of the Jewish people. But Samuel had had a, a heart that said he just didn't, couldn't kill them all. And the result was Haman was a Agagite. And as a result then we see in the Scripture where Haman's long-term historical anger toward the Jewish people meant Haman saw his new position as an opportunity. And he said, okay, the opportunity's here. I'm in the right position. We're going to get these people. So he went to his new friend, the king, or his deeper friend, the king, and he said, you know, we're going to... I want to tell you that there are people who are not respectful of your laws. And so he went to him and he said, you know, your law is that people are supposed to respect me. There's a guy that keeps sitting down at the main gate and every time I go through the gate, everyone is supposed to bow before me. But this guy doesn't. And that's because he's a Jew. And the result is, the king says, so what would you have me do about it? And Haman says, you need to send a letter and we need to punish all the Jews in the land. We're going to make them all be punished. Because remember, historically, Haman... His people did not get along with the Jews at all. And so, what we see is a, a long term story where there is a, a major struggle going on. And we get to a situation where ultimately, uh, at the end of chapter 3, at the beginning of chapter 4, Mordecai steps back in the picture. Now, Mordecai every day is down at the gate. The reason he's at the gate is because his adopted daughter's inside the king's palace. And he wants to know how she's doing. But in the middle of all this time, as he's learned about these letters that have come out from the king, that Haman basically got the king to write. And he said, you know, when, I mean, because the, Haman said, King, I'll give you a bunch of money if you'll go ahead and do this. And so the result was that Mordecai was trying to decide, what do I do? Brothers and sisters, there are a lot of times in life we ask the question, what do I do? And that was what he was asking. Where did I go now? And so in, in chapter 4, at the very beginning, what we see is uh, an opportunity for Mordecai and Esther to stand up. And Mordecai is sitting at the gate. He's torn his clothes. He's, he's dirty. And, and Esther has found, uh, found out that, that he's there and asked the question of him, why are you there and why, what's the problem? And he explains he said, they have got a letter to kill all the Jewish people. And you too will be killed. And then we look through chapter 4 to see how does Esther handle the problem? Esther steps into the problem very clearly and she says, I have to do something. And if I perish, chapter 4 verse 16, if I perish, so be it. If I perish, I perish. What I would say to you and what I would say to me is we have to have that kind of a commitment to our Lord if He's going to bless our church. Your comfort, my comfort are not why we're here. We are here to worship. Yes. But worship means more than singing songs and praising God. Worship includes service with our lives. So when we talk about what it takes to be a courageous person, it means are we willing to put our faith in our feet? You know, it's very easy to get frustrated with difficulties. But it's important that in our difficulties we get up and we keep going strong. And it's time that we certainly look at the city of Vancouver and continue to ask ourselves each and every day, why has God got Vancouver Chinese Baptist Church here? When I look at Esther and I see the testimony that she had It's very challenging to me. A number of years ago, I was with some house church leaders uh, in China. There were 13 of us in a farmhouse in Beijing, outside of Beijing. I thought I kind of understood their lives, but sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't. Finally, I asked the question, what is the greatest prayer need that the Western church can can uh, be concerned about for China's church. They, and I said, is it freedom? Is it separation of church and state? Is it uh, uh, freedom of worship location? What is it? And one of the guys started smiling and he told the other guy, I said, go tell him, go tell him. And the other guy came over and he said, no, he said, separation of church and state is not the issue. Freedom of religion is not the issue we don't even really think we're concerned about whether we have freedom of religion here. He so said, you have to understand, we want people to keep asking the right spiritual questions. And we're concerned if freedom of religion actually hit China, that China could very well become like America. And religion just becomes religion. You see, today, folks, I will tell you this as honestly as I can. I do not believe in religion, but I do believe in God and I believe that Jesus Christ came as my Savior and Lord and came as your Savior and Lord. Religion won't save you, but Jesus will. My friends were telling me, those 13 men, religion is not what China needs. And if China's government allows it to be viewed just as another religion, then we're in trouble for the future. My prayer is that we will all develop mature thinking when we consider who we are and who God is in our life. Let's pray. Father God, as we look at Esther and we think about this woman of courage, We see a woman that says, for such a time as this, and then she says, if I perish, I perish. My life is not the most important part of what's going on around me. We think about her testimony and her courage back then. We ask that we would have the same courage. We would ask for the same clarity of direction. That we would have vision for our own life, and that is to be used by you. Father, we would ask that the church would dream dreams beyond our own ability and be able to watch You manifest those into reality on a daily basis. Father, we thank You for being our Lord, and we ask that we would be worthy of being Your servants in Jesus' name.